can do that. You can do that, can uh -huh, you? I can do that. Would you like show us? <laughs> do you want me to? Sure. Are you serious? To you bring your ice skates? No, I can't do that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a nice winter one, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yes, it yep. was. So uh, it looked to me like that robot bird was kind of crashing into the thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Good. I have something big I want to do. Do you see this little battery? I do. It's just a little battery. And I thought, I would like to invent a way to make this little battery run big things like fans and lights, you know, stuff like you have over there. I would like to have this little battery run them. Can you do that? Not until I invent it. Okay. Okay. You know, you have to have a reason for inventing things. I have a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I want to invent a way to make this run those big things is because we've been talking about computer logic. Mm -hmm. And I'm told that some of our students are sort of getting it, but they don't quite get it. And I figured, you know what, this would be an amazing demonstration to make everybody get it. And it's really important because if everyone can get this one little concept and see it, and it's just a matter of seeing it, and then a light goes on, they would understand radios, microphones, and computers. And it'd be a big thing. So. I tried, first of all, just to hook this up to the light, the big light in the fan, and it didn't have enough power. So that's where I turned to these spoons. There's power in the spoons? Yes, and, oh. and I guess we should at this point stop and pay a little bit of tribute to the inventor of the spoon. Now some of you probably don't know what a spoon is, so I brought a bowl. <laughs> and I thought maybe if I impersonated eating cereal, you'd know what a spoon is. But how many of you knew who the inventor of the spoon is? Spoons were invented by Dr. Peje Monet. You're just teasing. Te you didn't invent the spoons? No. What do you why do you say that? I'm pretty sure you did. Look. What do you? What? Look, look, see right there? Inventor of spoons and cereal, so you she took, says. You took my flask but, of flowers and you put a spoon. That's not accurate? Okay, my bad. Please forgive me. Um, what I meant wow. to say, just let me finish. What I meant to say is she invented the fork. <laughs> So she says, <laughs> invented of eating cereal you, you with forks. You didn't invent the fork either? <laughs> well, one thing I do know is she invented something. It's to be announced. <laughs> <laughs> now that one I am guilty of. You're guilty of Yeah, I, I have some things okay, coming well, up. <laughs> somebody invented spoons. Somebody did. Yeah. Maybe and it was so one of my relatives. I figured <laughs> Spoons could really help us out today to be able to master this concept. That's a spoon. I'm loving that. Can okay. you do that again? <laughs> what if?
what if I hook these two spoons up to this extension cord? You say, well, how would you do that? Well, it's simple. An extension cord actually has two wires in it, doesn't it? Yes. Up one wire, the power comes to your light or fan or appliance, and down the other wire, it goes back. So what I did is I took my wire cutter, and I cut just one of the wires. At least this is my idea. And then I pulled it out like this, and I hooked that wire that I cut to this spoon, and I hooked the other end of the wire I cut to this spoon. So then when I plugged a light into this extension cord, it didn't come on until I touched the spoons together. And that completed the circuit, and the light came. Are you with me so far? You weren't holding them like that, though, were you? You know, that would be shocking, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be. You can tell she's tried this. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, no, because I saw what happened to you. <laughs> so my idea is, you know, when you have cereal, have you ever tried to eat cereal with a spoon without a bowl? <laughs> doesn't work. No, you have to have a bowl too. Do. So my idea was, what if I mixed up some silicon rubber, put it in the bowl, and then I stuck the spoons in the silicon rubber so it would hold them upright like that? Mm -hmm. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Because you can't touch them when you hook them up to the electricity, or you might get shocked, right? So I need to make the spoons touch when I want them to without me touching them with my hand, because they'll get shocked. And the razzle-dazzle magic stuff didn't work. <laughs> and so that's when I turned to magnetism. If you wrap a wire around a piece of metal it form, and then hook it up to electricity, it becomes a magnet, right? And when you disconnect the power, the magnet goes away. Connect it again and it comes. So I thought, what if I mount an electromagnet on one of the spoons so that it would pull it to the other spoon? Then I would have a spoon relay. Spoon relay. A spoon relay. <laughs> a spoon relay. And there it is. It even looks like milk spoon in there. Spoon relay. It, the milk is, of course, the uh, magic stuff I put in here. This is the safety lid to keep her safe this time. Okay? <laughs> so there are two spoons standing up. They're in the silicon. And uh, I've hooked a battery up to a little switch. So when I turn on the switch, it will run power to that little electromagnet. And the electromagnet will pull the two, springs the two spoons together, click, like that. And then the power will run down the extension cord. Now you notice I have an extension cord here. One wire just goes straight through, but the other wire I cut and goes to one spoon, and the other side goes to the other spoon, just like I said. Can you tell them the secret on the wires? The Can I tell side? a secret? Yeah, the rough nope, side. No, can't the tell them side. that. No secrets. <laughs> but what I am what I am willing to do is to try this experiment. So okay. here's my little battery. So it's up to this little wire, 
this battery is going to power that little electromagnet. This battery is not strong enough to run big appliances, but it is enough power to run that little electromagnet. If this works the way it's supposed to, the electromagnet is going to pull the two spoons together, which will make a connection of the circuit, and it will come on. Do you think it'll work? I'm going to confess, I tried this before, and it didn't work. And it didn't work because the spoons were together already. So I got a little magic foam ball and stuck in there to push them apart. Now, will my magnet <laughs> be strong enough to squeeze that foam bowl and pull these two spoons together? What do you think? Oh, it is. Oh, and it is. Wow. And the fan is going. <laughs> so, would you like to see this close up so you can really see it? Okay, let's take a look at it close up. So here are the spoons. Can you see? You see the electromagnet there? Oh, and you see how they click together? And there goes the fan. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> awesome? And you know, an interesting thing, when the spoons are together, the electricity flows, but when you pull the spoons apart, the electricity still wants to flow, and so it makes a spark or an arc. And if we zoom in really close, you can actually see the spark as the spoons try to separate. Do you want to see yeah, that? All right, watch this. Did you see the spark? Oh, oh how about slow, neat. slow motion? Here it goes. See that? That is cool. Isn't that neat? That is really yeah, neat. So this is a spoon relay. You like the dog in the, you know, outside of the truck. <laughs> and she's she's modest, but I think she did invent spoons. <laughs> I came from the spoon family. You did? <laughs> yeah. There's had no a grandpa. spoon family yeah. on this planet. <laughs> I had a grandpa that played the spoons. Did? Really? Yeah. No. I play with them. <laughs> I try. Okay. So oh. what does this do for us? You can that hear the wind blowing, really can't nice. you? I, don't I, I think that's pretty neat. Well, now, just, the reason I have this protective uh, dome over it is because those spoons are electrified. And if she reaches it, so you've got to be very careful working with 110 volt electricity because it would be very shocking. If she grabbed those spoons, it would be like that dynamite thing. Because I have a propensity to touch, don't I? Yeah, and that's why we got this nice <laughs> little thing here. I really do. To go with your spoon inventing propensity. And my magnet. Okay, so what is the point? What is this all about? And that's where we now need to look at this little diagram. So I want to put this up on the screen. And if you look here, oh, it's not very big, is it? What happened to this thing? There we go. Now you can see it better. There's a little light bulb, and there's a little switch. And the wire for the ground to bring the power back is missing here, so it just makes it a little simpler. But watch what happens when I turn on the switch. Ah, the light bulb comes on. If I turn off the switch, <laughs> if I turn off the switch, the light bulb goes off. All right, so that's just like a light in a house. We have a light, we have a switch, we turn it on, we turn it off. Okay, now I'm going to get a little bit more complicated. I'm going to have the light bulb 
here, only, oops, let's make sure we get up here on the camera. There we go. I've got the light up here, but in between the switch and the light, I have this thing. And this is a transistor. A transistor is exactly the same thing as my spoons, except I made it with spoons. Transistors made it just with special coatings called dielectric coatings. And what happens is if I turn on the switch here, the power comes to the input of the transistor, but nothing comes out. And the reason nothing comes out is because we haven't turned on the electromagnet. Now in a transistor, it's not actually electromagnet, but it, you do have to apply some power here to this pin. If I just were to grab some power from the other switch over here, and connect it, and turn the other switch on, notice it turns the light on. Now you can see this better if we go to this next one here. Let's see if we can do that. Yep, we can. Come on, thing. Cooperate for me. Here we go. So here I've got a, uh, an, a light, and I've got a switch going to the transistor, and I have a second switch going to the input, the control input on the transistor. You notice when I turn the voltage onto this pin, which is the base of the transistor, then the power flows. And so you're saying, so what's the big deal? That's just like having a switch, only now you have to have two. But there is actually a really big deal because you can turn the power on with a tiny amount of electricity. Kind of like when I was saying my little battery can now turn on big appliances because this is powering the magnet. The magnet turns the spoons into a switch to turn on the big power. In the case of the transistor here, I have the big power ready to flow through the transistor, but a teeny bit of power applied on the control circuit controls an enormous amount of power going to the light. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Now what can we do with that? Well, here's something kind of interesting. I have now added an oscillator here. This means it's a signal that goes on and off, on and off, and I'm calling it a microphone. A microphone is a diaphragm that is vibrating and, and creating a very, very microscopic amount of electricity when you talk in it, when it hears a sound. That microscopic electricity is not enough to run a headphone or a speaker or a PA system or anything like that, but it is enough to tell a transistor that it should turn on or turn off. So if I have the microphone hooked up to the input, the control input of the transistor, then this large power can flow through the transistor and it's enough power to run a headphone or even to run a speaker. Oh. So what I'm doing is I'm amplifying the microphone signal because every time it sends out a little charge or a little voltage, then the big power flows. And when that little tiny micro voltage stops, then the big power stops. And that allows you to start to do some really neat things. Now, if you look at it here, I have 
the uh, oscillator again, putting out the voltage that starts and stops, going to the control of the transistor, and then the power is going through it, and now it's running two lights. And the fact is, the transistor can control a lot of power, enough to control big circuits and to be able to do magical things. In fact, in this next example, I, I've got two transistors. And if you notice, the signal from the oscillator or a microphone comes into this first transistor and turns it on and off in sync with the sound. The output then comes into the control of the second transistor and it controls the power now going to four light bulbs. This is two transistors in series. When you buy a radio, transistor radio, we don't say it so much now, but they used to say this is a two transistor radio or this is a six transistor radio because you can actually make one transistor amplify a micro circuit power a micro voltage and then get a bigger voltage out and go into a second transmit, uh, transistor and amplify it again and again so a very weak signal can get bigger and bigger. If it wasn't for this amplification uh, technology, we couldn't do many of the things we do. We certainly couldn't do audio, we couldn't do radio, and we couldn't do computers. So it's a real, real simple concept. Two spoons, no current flows because they're not touching. You put just a little microcurrent from even a little battery on an electromagnet, it pulls the spoons together and then they're like a switch and a big current flows. Controlling a lot of power with a teeny bit of power is called amplification and that's what transistors do. Before we had transistors, but after she invented spoons, <laughs> we had a thing called a vacuum tube. A vacuum tube, some of you remember them, they're, they're still around a little bit. A vacuum tube did exactly the same thing as a transistor, only they're a lot bigger. And a vacuum tube was a glass tube like a light bulb because they had to be able to pull a vacuum to get it to work, and then it had a filament. A filament was a little heater because it only worked when it was warm. So they'd plug into a base, you'd turn on your radio, and you'd see the tubes light up. And as they got warm, all of a sudden you start hearing the radio play. Wow. With transistors, the second you turn them on, you hear, hear the sound because they don't have to warm up. They're a lot better than a vacuum tube, but it's the same kind of a technology, or at least it does the same function. Now, if I were to connect a microphone to my electromagnet and talk into it, I don't have a microphone that puts out enough power to power that electromagnet to pull the spoons together. So I would have to have a transistor amplify the sound from my mic before I could even pull the magnets together. But if I did that, and so I could talk and it would make the magnet pull the spoons together, you still wouldn't be able to hook the spoons up to a speaker because they can't open and close fast enough to keep up with the frequency of sounds. And so that's where vacuum tubes and now transistors are so much neater because they can go much faster. And in fact, they can go so fast 
they can amplify sounds that are such high frequencies we can't hear them. In fact, you get clear up into radio waves and things that are extremely fast because of these solid state amplifiers. A solid state means a transistor, and a solid state amplifier can go extremely high frequencies, which is what makes so much of our technology possible. And now, the inventor of the spoon looks like she has something she wants to say. <laughs> Go ahead. Spoon feed us. <laughs> Where's your spoon? <laughs> your demo spoon. Oh, I Good. see them right there. I found them. <laughs> um, this is off record. <laughs> so can you explain to the kids why it's called an electromagnet and not just a magnet? No. I know you can. <laughs> Let me reword that, Dr. Blinds. Will you please... Explain it to them? I can. You know what? Thank you. You tease. Uh, of course <laughs> we can explain it together. I'll, I'll explain the spoon. No, okay. Yeah. A magnet is a magnet is a magnet. It's mm -hmm. magnetic. We know what that is. Mm -hmm. But if you take a piece of a metal that's not a magnet, it's got to be a ferro material. A ferro? A ferro. It's got to be a material that can have magnetic properties and you wrap a wire around it and then connect the wire to a battery so there's electric current flowing through the wire, then it turns the metal in the core magnetic for as long as the power is flowing. And then when you disconnect it, the magnet quits. So that's an electromagnet because it's only magnetic when the electricity is flowing. Now, we probably should She's challenging us. We should get into this a little deeper, shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. Because with all of these basic technologies, there's stories. There's things, and they, they sound so simple when you learn it in school, and then when you start doing your science, then things start to happen. And you learn a lot of interesting things. Well, first of all, did you know how to create a permanent magnet? If you have a coil, and, and for this, you better have a good coil with lots of windings. And you take like a piece of metal, like the one I used the first time was a screwdriver. I took a screwdriver and I put it inside the coil and then I hooked the coil up to power for just a couple seconds. And then I disconnected the power and I pulled the screwdriver out and it had magnetized the screwdriver. The screwdriver became a permanent magnet. Now when I bought the screwdriver, I thought it was gonna be the kind of screwdriver that can pick up screws and hold them, and it couldn't. So I had to make my own. So I put it in a coil, and by the way, the coil I used was a coil off a little electric motor. Yeah, it was, I gave it back. No, I had, <laughs> and I yeah. connected uh -huh. it and it magnetized it, and so my screwdriver was not only a permanent magnet, it was a very strong one. I put screws on and they would just stay on there until I could screw them in. But here's the interesting thing. If you go back to that coil, and I plugged my coil into 110 volt alternating current. So you plug it in, and then you take your screwdriver and stick it down in the coil, and you can fill the magnetic pole and then instead of unplugging the coil, if you just gently pull your screwdriver out and then you try to pick up a screw, there's no magnetism. 
the screwdriver is demagnetized. And why is it demagnetized? Because as you pull it away, the magnetic field is changing directions. And so it gradually gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and it erases it. Used to be that we would use tape recorders. And you had a little recording head, and you'd run a tape past it, and the tape had little ferrite metal specks on it that would get magnetized. And so as it went by the head, it would make sound. Every once in a while, you had to demagnetize the head, or the sound wouldn't be as clear and good. So you'd get a little device with a little tip sticking out that you'd plug in and it was an electromagnet and you hold it near the head and it would demagnetize it. Well, if you held it on the head and unplugged it, it would magnetize the head. If you kept it plugged in and gradually pulled it away, it would demagnetize it. I think that's kind of cool. Don't you think so? So now we're starting to learn more. And every time you learn more about electricity, about magnetism, you're empowered to do more. So, I wanted to make a next generation hydrogen engine. And I had a, an engine that ran on hydrogen and the hydrogen ran through a carburetor, which I made that would mix the hydrogen and air to the right ratio so it would burn. But I got this idea. I called it direct cylinder injection. Big name. I invented the name. I also got a patent on it. Direct cylinder injection. And here's the idea. Did you know that hydrogen is very voluminous compared to gasoline? So in an engine, when you pull in air to burn, you have to pull in the air and put in just the right amount of gasoline. And really, it's just a few drops of gasoline for a cylinder full of, of air and it's just the right amount and it burns. But hydrogen is not a liquid, it's a gas. And it turns out that it's a voluminous gas. So it would displace air and that would knock out about 30% of the power of the engine. I wanted it to be as powerful as it was on gasoline. So here's my idea. You pull in a full cylinder full of air and then you close the air intake valve and you compress the gas and when it gets compressed, then I was going to have a little solenoid, which is a valve connected to an electromagnet. So the magnet, I'd turn it on, it would open up just before you're ready to shoot the spark plug, and it would squirt in hydrogen under pressure. So you'd have all the normal air, and then you put the hydrogen in, and it would make it very efficient, and it would give you a lot of power out of the engine. So I'm going to inject the hydrogen. But I have to do it at just the right time, so I needed to have a solenoid. A solenoid is like these spoons here, only it's an electromagnet that instead of making spoons switch power in a solenoid, it opens and closes a valve to let hydrogen through. And I needed a solenoid that would work very, very fast because it has to keep up with the engine going at 5,000 rotations per minute. So that had to be very fast. If you're going to make something go very fast, you want to make it lightweight, and you also want to have a lot of power so it'll go fast. So I made my first injector, and I used a ferrite metal, steel. And so when it was time to open the solenoid, I sent the electricity to the solenoid, and it opened. And then I turned off the electricity 
and it stayed open because it had turned into a permanent magnet. And that wasn't cool. So then it just kept running all the hydrogen. It wasn't cool. So then I had to go do research. Why did it magnetize? And how can I, how can I fix it? And then I found out that there are some materials that will not magnetize. While there's electricity, they're magnetic. But when the electricity goes away, they're not permanent magnets. And out of the materials that were available, I found out that there are certain alloys of stainless steel that are perfect for that. And as I recall from a few years back, uh, happened to be stainless steel 443, and I believe 444. It's interesting. Stainless steel is a kind of steel that they put moly, molybdenum, and chromium in that will not rust. It's a real neat form of stainless steel. But this particular stainless steel would rust. Huh. It's kind of interesting. They still called it stainless. Didn't rust very much. But it would not become permanently magnetized. And so I made my little injectors out of that, and I got it to work. That's neat. It's kind of fun. So with technology, you have to learn these little tricks. Nitroglycerin, according to Tobias, was very dangerous. It liked to party. So really what what he told. That's what he said. That's what he said. Okay. He demonstrated it. Yeah. <laughs> but they were able to tone it down by putting it with diatomaceous earth. And remember he told us that diatomaceous earth, that white powder, he showed us a picture of it, that it has these properties of taining down the nitroglycerin so it'll still explode, but you have to give it a little explosion to get it started. It's kind of like this. A little bit of electricity to control a big amount of electricity. A little explosion to ignite a big one. It's also like a hydrogen bomb. Hydrogen bomb is nuclear fusion, but it has to be, you know, a million degrees to get it to start. And the only way we know how to get the million of degrees in a hydrogen bomb is by setting off an atomic bomb, which is uranium or plutonium, and you get a little teeny bomb that ignites the hydrogen, but the hydrogen reaction is not radioactive. So, but you get a little bit of radioactive from the little, anyway, we're getting way off point here. <laughs> so when I have my little ideas, they're like that, and then you get the bigger ideas. The forks, <laughs> yeah, because the forks have four prongs. <laughs> that have, is big. Do you have time for some questions? Yeah, I have, I have time for a question. Okay. Um, Angel wants to know if the thickness of the wire affects the strength of the electromagnet. The strength of the electromagnet, when you wind them around a metallic core, is determined by the voltage, by the current that flows through the wire, and, uh, and by the number of windings. Now, if you have a big fat wire, you can't get as many windings in there because it's so fat it pushes the wire out more. And also, if you're running too much current, if you set the voltage too high and too many electrons are flowing through a small wire, it'll actually melt the wire. And so it works real good for about a tenth of a second, and it's like a fuse, it's burned up and gone. So, as in almost everything in science, you have to get it just right. 
And usually when they make an electromagnet, they don't use a wire with insulation like we normally do with the rubber insulation because it would take up too much space and you couldn't get as many windings in. On the other hand, the windings can't short out and touch each other, so what they do is they varnish the wire. So they take a, a copper strand and they run it through a varnishing process that coats it with this nice, pretty, usually kind of a reddish-brown varnish, let it dry, and then it doesn't short, but it's very, very thin, so you can get a lot of windings on, on a coil. Yeah, right. We have a few more questions. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I did that one. Now it's your turn. <laughs> I think it's still your turn. If it was a higher voltage, would it burn the foam ball in the center? Mmm. If it was a higher voltage. So the little foam ball is away from the spark, and the spark and the current go through the tip of the spoon. So the you could have quite a bit more voltage and current going, and it wouldn't get too hot. But of course, if it were running like a big arc welder or something, it was pulling a lot of current, and then actually burn the spoons too. <laughs> so that's why we learn how to engineer systems to make them just right and make them last. But it's kind of neat that this thing can just work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And work. I think it's pretty cool. How fast can it go? Not enough to play music, but it is enough you can to, do jingle bells. to make your hair ruffle. <laughs> yeah, um, Paige Monet has a question. How well did she respond socially when the fan messed up her hair tonight? <laughs> I can take that one. <laughs> I would say she what, she did fair. Fair. She did fair. It was fair. I mean, I'm she's work working on, on it. She's working on it. Okay. I don't understand why she pointed the fan right at her. Yeah, I. It was, it's trying she didn't think it was going to come on. She didn't trust this contraption, did she? Okay. One last one. One last one? Oh, dear. Oh, that's, that's all? Okay, so is the transistor considered an insulator? Can you use the amplifier in houses like connected to the house, which doesn't amplify the light? Okay. So a transistor is not an insulator. An insulator is a material that electricity cannot flow through. Like glass is an insulator, it's protecting Peugeot from these electrified spoons. And plastic is an insulator, air is an insulator. But you know, if you get too much voltage, electricity will finally ionize air and then it'll break down and you get a charge. Um, it's interesting that um, in, in some of my experiments, I was working on a, a laser and I needed to light up this helium neon inside of my laser tube. And so I used a neon sign transformer. And a neon sign transformer, remember with the transformer you have some windings here, and then you have a magnetic core, and then some more windings. And the ratio of the number of windings, like if this is 100 and this was 1,000, will change the voltage proportionally. So 100 windings on the input, 1,000 on the output would make the voltage come out 10 times higher voltage. Well, with the neon sign transformer, the ratio was such that the voltage came out at 20,000 volts. And with 20,000 volts, electricity will go through air quite a ways. In fact, it will go about 10 centimeters. And, but to start it, you have to kind of start it closer together. You get it at a certain place, it ionizes the air like lightning does. 
And then as you pull it apart, it gets a big spark because when air is ionized, ionized means the electrons have been pushed out to an outer orbital and they conduct electricity a lot better than normal air, excited air, and so you can make this big spark. And that's how you make a Jacob's Ladder. Mm. A Jacob's Ladder can be made by taking two welding rods and fastening them in something like that silicon to hold them, and you make the welding rods in a V-shape. And then you hook up your 20,000 volts to both sides, and what happens is it ionizes at the bottom and you get a little spark, but then the heat causes the spark to rise and it crawls up the ladder and as it gets higher and higher, the welding rods get further and further apart so the spark gets bigger and bigger and bigger until finally it's too big and it goes off and then another one lights. And, and it just keeps sending these sparks up the ladder and it's a neat phenomenon. It is. We should make one of those. That's what I was thinking, too. you should show us. Mm -hmm. We should. So. Maybe Jacob should show us. <laughs> Maybe. <clears throat> so Justin wants to know if the stainless steel injectors rusting um, could cause a problem in the hydrogen engine over time. Yes. The, uh, the stainless steel uh, needs to be able to survive that environment. And, and the way that I solved that problem and also the way I made the injectors have a long life is at the tip of the injector, I put a spring-loaded check valve. So when the, when the solenoid would open and the hydrogen come through, it would push the check valve out of the way, and it would push against the spring, it would go into the cylinder, and when I closed the solenoid, this little check valve would close, and then the big explosion would push against the check valve, but the check valve was already closed, and that's how I protected it from freezing. The pure hydrogen wouldn't make it rust because pure hydrogen, there's no water, okay? And, but all those things have to be figured out. Making it work is the first step. Making it reliable is also very important. So can you run more things than just the two things on your experiment? Well, actually, it turns out these are pretty heavy-duty spoons. <laughs> so you could run quite a bit of current through here. I could probably run the lights on my truck. You could? Oh yeah, these, these are good spoons. <laughs> now I'm not sure who invented these particular spoons. Oh, but now, they're now yeah. we're going there. So I don't think I'd have any problems running 30, 40 amps through these. These are good spoons, oh. pretty stout. And the little silicon in the bottom is pretty neat too. It's, you know, silicon rubber is made by taking two compounds, two liquids, and mixing them together at exactly the same amount, and then you stir it up for, they say, five minutes. But, and then you let it set up, and it becomes rubbery hard. You can use silicon rubber, which, by the way, is easy to, easy to find. Some people call it casting rubber. You can buy it easily. The stores are on the Internet. But you can use it to make molds. So I could take silicon rubber mix them together, put them in a bowl, and then put this battery inside. And then the next day when it's all set up, I could cut the rubber open, get my battery out, and I'd have a perfect mold of the shape of this battery. And I could then put epoxy or something in and make castings. And you make coins like the hydrogen coin and things like that with that method. We use that technology for making our gold keys. That's how we 
we hold the keys while we put the epoxy in to seal them up after we put the circuit board in. Mm -hmm. I remember that. We should show that. Mm -hmm. I think we should ask uh, for the video of the machines being epoxied. We'll show that next time. Is that okay? All right. Well, we're plumb out of time, but I want to thank everybody for participating with us today. And I want you to really remember this concept. A little bit of power can control a lot of power. And that is exactly how we get digital electronics. And if you remember on this uh, diagram that I showed you earlier, we have these things called transistors or solid state devices that switch the power on and off. And we have millions and even billions of these transistors in your cell phone. And that is how it does all the magic it does. Just by turning these little switches on and off and you can have them add and, and you know, maybe next time, well, we got a minute. Can we take another minute? It's your slide. Let's just find a nice spot here on our board and I'm gonna go over here and pick a thing called a, uh, a display. It looks like we zoomed back again, didn't we? That's no good. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. This is a seven segment display and these are just little LEDs and a chip. And if I get some, um, a switch here so I can turn these on, and I'll hook it up to one of the pins, I'll turn it on. Now you notice that I lit these two LEDs over here so it says one. If I take that one off, and connect it to the next one, then I'm going to get two. Hmm. And you think, oh, it's just counting. Well, it's counting, but it's counting in binary. So the next one down here is not going to be three, but it's going to be four. It skipped it. And if I want to know where three is, well, you get three by connecting a couple at once. There's six. And so you can get all of the numbers. I don't should I connect this one? If I connect this fourth one, I'm going to get a number bigger than nine, and so I'm going to get F. And you guys that understand hexadecimal know why that, that has happened. Um, the two-minute version, so you can think about this. We count in a thing called decimal, which means we had 10 fingers, so they came up with 10 characters for numbers. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And with the 0, that's 10 numbers, isn't it? Well, binary is the power is flowing or there's no power. So it's on or off. So there was only two numbers and we represent those as zero or one. And if all you have is two numbers and you want to count, then you have to count like this, zero, one. So far it's the same. Zero, one, 10, 11, 100, 101, 110, 111. That's counting in binary. Some of you real clever guys have a binary watch, and you look down there, one, zero, one, one, and you know, oh, it's 2.30, because you know how to transfer binary. Everything that happens in your computer is happening in binary. And of course, that might change with some of the quantum state computers of the future, but it's kind of an interesting thing to learn. So you have the binary number system, number system where you just have two numbers, 
That's why I call it binary. Decimal, where there's 10. Hexadecimal has 16. This F happens to be in, sec in hexadecimal, which is very useful if you're trying to do a lot of assembly language programming. And you can learn all about that in our STEM classes. See you next time. <laughs> Bye -bye.